This episode is sponsored by Cengage. From online to high-flex learning, Cengage supports your changing pedagogy at scale. Learn more at Cengage.com institutional. That's C-E-N-G-A-G-E dot com slash institutional. Hello, welcome to another episode of The Key with IHE. I'm Paul Fain, a contributing editor inside higher ed and the show's host. A growing body of evidence shows that Latinos have been particularly hard hit by the pandemic and the recession. And last month, the group Excellencia in Education released its latest data analysis on Latino representation in higher education, as well as degree attainment and completion rates. The group found progress for Latinos nationwide, but they also found equity gaps remain. We spoke with Deborah Santiago, Excellencia's co-founder and CEO, to hear about the report's findings and key indicators for Latino students. We're more likely to still be enrolled <laughs> six years later. Uh, so there's a persistence issue that's rarely talked about, right? Retention is what institutions do, persistence is what students do. And I, I, I wish we'd have those kinds of conversations a little bit more. Santiago also went beyond the data to talk about what some institutions are doing right and where opportunities exist for colleges to do better. Uh, there are some institutions that their data look great, but sometimes it's you know because they've selected out for issues of equity. Let's get to the conversation. Deborah Santiago, good to see you. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Paul. Great to be with you. So not too long ago, Excellencia put out a new report, some data on uh, Latino representation in higher education completion. Some good news, some not so good news, but I thought maybe we'd start with just the, the numbers of, of representation. I mean, this is a big and growing population, correct? Yes, it is. Uh, we've been running this poll since 2009 when there was conversation back then, President Obama, that wanted to be first in the world in degree completion and set a goal. We're a small organization, but we said, you know what, uh, we need to bring a Latino lens to this and pay attention to uh, where Latinos need to be to add value to where the nation needs to be overall. And in that time, so 11 years we've been tracking this and releasing these data, the, the representation has continued to grow as we knew it would. Uh, I think that's part of the story. I think the other part of the story is what we've done with completion to close gaps, but also the opportunity we have to take action in a proactive way. And, and really for us, the data are not just for their own sake. It really is how does it inform and compel action in ways that are very asset-based, that are positive, and can make a difference because I think that's what the opportunity we all have in front of us. Right now, numbers show one in five students in higher ed is Latino currently. That's right, one in four in, in K-12, and actually we've done this data, one in three, uh, zero to five, one in four K-12, one in five in higher ed. Uh, so, and then one in five, just under five, if you're looking at one in six uh, at the population. We tend to be young uh, in terms of our average age and the potential of addressing the educational pipeline now is clear in that data. So when you think about the numbers, uh, we've tried to do a projection of where we need to be in 2030, assuming the closure of equity gaps and attainment our calculations, uh, we have got a methodology if you're interested, but 6.2 million degrees by 2030 are needed to close the equity gaps in attainment. And for us, Paul, that means that we want every population to increase in degree attainment, but to close the gaps in attainment, we have to accelerate Latino student success while everybody's increasing if we're gonna close the gap. And these data are attempt to just quantify what does that look like 
in terms of enrollment, completion, graduation, and how do we need to frame a baseline for action? Taking a look at the fact that less than one in four adults has an associate degree or higher compared to white non-Hispanics where that number is 46%, so almost one in two. That's a powerful opportunity for us to see what can we do in higher ed now and what can we do in K-12 so that we see more parity in a time-bound way, uh, which means that these students are already in our educational system. That's one way to, to under, understand these data that can be useful. Another one is to take a look at the K-12 population and the adults. And when you see nationally, as I said, one in four in K-12 are Hispanic, and then you see that one in four adults that are Latino have an associate degree or higher, what does that mean about the opportunity to make sure we're addressing first-generation college goers, uh, that we're addressing the opportunities to make sure that our policies are addressing the reality of our population overall? I think those are, are big parts of it. And then the last of the data that I'll share in the short run uh, as we give context, Paul, is you know, we try to take a look at measures. And for us, traditional conventional measures like graduation rates, they are very good metrics for traditional conventional pathways to completion to, for students overall. Traditional students, traditional pathways, and traditional students and pathways. So when you look at that information, you see that Latino profile is not all that consistent. We're more likely to, to swirl, to go part-time, to stop out, you know, all those characteristics that, that our audience knows. And so we've always tried to figure out what are additional metrics that can tell us more about the story of progress and opportunity for completion for, for Latino students. And this year is the first year we've approached this way because the data has evolved. And we took a look at degree outcomes by two-year, four-year, and we took a look at whether they were, had graduated or had transferred, were still enrolled or were no longer enrolled. And we tried to compare, we compared Hispanic students, that's how the data are listed by the Department of Ed, so we use that term, compared to white non-Hispanics, because that's the, the biggest population, that's where we see the progress, that's where we want others to make sure that we are continuing to, to work towards. And we see equity gaps in attainment for the most recent population. Um, so while degree attainment is overall, uh, we still see gaps. They've closed, they've, been be they've gone better, but they're still significant. And for us, looking at completion policies, retention policies, transfer policies, and investments, return policies for those who've left, those are powerful opportunities for action that we're hoping that gets reinforced with these kinds of data. I really like the way you cast the, the pipeline, you know, one in three uh, up to age five, um, 6.2 million degrees needed, that, you know, so the work is there and that makes sense to me. Can you talk a little bit about how big some of the gaps that you found in this more holistic completion metric that you used? I mean, how big of a, how much work do we have there? Paul, we took a look uh, nationally and then we look at by individual state and we included DC and Puerto Rico uh, because we know that this is not just about federal action and work. In fact, K-12 
given our current environment, that's necessarily, uh, and maybe never has been quite as, as compelling as what happens at the institutional and the state level. So where we really see these gaps, some at the national level for sure, but I would say there's some states where there's real standout of opportunity for investment support. At the national level, when we look at four-year institutions, we see greater gaps in completion than in two-year institutions. Just to give you a quick snapshot for people to consider, the, the gap in attainment in a given year, our most recent year of data that we had from the Department of Ed shows there's a gap of completion of 12% between Hispanics and non, uh, white non-Hispanics overall in completion. We're more likely to still be enrolled <laughs> six years later. Uh, so there's a persistence issue that's rarely talked about, right? Retention is what institutions do. Persistence is what students do. And I, I, I wish we'd have those kinds of conversations a little bit more, how institutions can transform to better serve students who have different contexts and realities that are unconventional. And then those that leave, that's really significantly better. I mean, a challenge because we have about a third of Hispanics who started at four-year institution leave without a degree. That to me, though, that, that's clear set. Uh, I would love to close gaps in completion, but that's a critical area for focus. It's about 24, 25% for white non-Hispanics, but it's almost a third for, for Latinos. So those are just two examples. Um, we can drill down by state and we can drill down. Um, we tried to also identify the top institutions enrolling and graduating Latinos because uh, for community-based organizations and local folks, you know, in institutions, they want to see themselves and where they are, who's doing a good job in completion, who still has opportunities to grow. Just briefly with yeah. the opportunities, I like the way you frame that. Uh, you know, <laughs> it, I'm guessing, you know, it, it, an obvious conjecture here, but that for Latino students, probably more likely to leave a four-year institution in part because of work and family responsibility. Uh, is that, do you think, part of the gap? That is if you put the onus completely on the student. I think the other part is put, making sure that we pay attention to the responsibility the institution has to the student well, and that social contract, right? Let's so, talk about that. I mean, I, I, I think I have some ideas of what, what some of that might be, but where, where do institutions fall short in, in making sure that students are able to continue? We talk a lot about the need to be intentional in serving Latino students. We need to be intentional in serving all of our students in this day and age, but I think one of the biggest challenges we've seen is institutions that want to remain conventional in their strategies and their approaches uh, when you're dealing with a very post-traditional student body. And to us, uh, Latino students are much more representative of that post-traditional student. And, you know, life happens between 18 and 24 uh, when you're 18 and possibilities versus uh, as you get older. And uh, the pulls of the economic environment, uh, family and others, the limited uh, support services on campuses, the feeling of belonging, all of those are, I, I don't mean to sound you know, squishy and qualitative, but when we talk to students uh, about their likelihood of persisting and then retaining and see what institutions are doing, I think an awareness of the reality of our students, especially now, you know, not just with the pandemic, but with the epidemic of structural inequities and racism that most institutions were built on 
having to find ways to confront that from a student perspective and lens, I think that's institutions have to have more humility about what it takes to serve these students well. And many of them are, uh, and the ones we choose to work with and who choose to work with us are willing to be more critical about this growing population and the potential. And you can't do business the way you've done it before and expect to see the same results if the, the students that come to you um, have other strengths and needs. Absolutely, uh, never more true than it is now. We're gonna take a quick break. Please stick with us. If you're looking to go even more in depth in IHE's news coverage, check out our special reports. These deep dives feature rich data and reporting, as well as thoughtful, substantive analysis you can trust. Visit insidehighered.com backslash special dash reports to view the topics we've covered and to purchase the report that best supports your area of work or study. Can you talk about some of the institutions that you identified that, that do seem to have this a better handle on how to do this well and, and what it is that, that they do? Yeah, we are uh, just a facilitator, a listener for what good work is being done out there. And so our way of understanding this is predicated on those of common cause who we're trying to do well and right by students. And I, I say that as a caveat because uh, there are some institutions that their data look great, but sometimes it's, you know, because they've selected out for issues of equity. And uh, so we, uh, that's good on them, but that's not where we focus our energy. And I say that because uh, we look at a combination of data, practice, and leadership to determine if an institution is being intentional in serving the students they have. And I say it that way because we've been listening to institutions for 20 years who tell us, you know, data can tell you some, the direction in some ways, but it doesn't give you the context of what it takes to serve students with intentionality. That was our long-winded way, but I had to give context for the institutions that we've seen are doing some important work, not because they figured it all out, but because their commitment to trying to figure it out is what, at Excellencia, we're choosing to, to focus our energy on. You look at the top institutions graduating Hispanics overall, uh, we work with uh, all of those institutions in one way, shape, or home pretty much. Florida International University, dynamic leadership. You look at their data, it's really year over year, uh, five years running. We take a look at five years of data and see how they're performing. We see momentum growth. Uh, we see efforts in, in institutional practices aligned that explain why they've improved, especially when it comes with a Latino lens to these students. Um, we see the same when we're looking at uh, other institutions, Cal State, uh, California State University, Channel Islands um, has been doing some really good work for a long time. Small and newer campus, University of Texas El Paso, Austin Community College, Valencia College. I mean, like, these are not surprises. They, they stand out, I think, at the national stage as well, overall. But what we've seen in talking to faculty, staff, students, and their leadership is that there's a commitment to cause that compels. Absolutely. And, you know, the ones that you listed, uh, I often think of as being quite good in their relationships across the two-year and four-year divide, you know, Valencia in particular, but, uh, you know, FIU and Miami-Dade. I mean, these are institutions that, that make these transfer pathways as strong as any around the country. Is that, that's part of this too, I'm guessing. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, El Paso Community College, is a powerful partner with University of Texas El Paso, absolutely. And you know, for us, Paul, we've taken a look at 
know, the Latino pathway. And we often tend to enroll close to where we live and the potential to graduate is there. So we often talk about, you know, Hispanic serving institutions asking, are you an HSI by demography and geography or intentionality and impact? And, and our interest is in the latter, not negating the former, but the, there's an intentionality in their efforts that makes a difference. And every single one of them has some tie in, tie back to a community college and or their service area that allows there to be more culturally relevant understanding and perspectives. There's a, there's a tie in so that the social network students have is in, valued and leveraged rather than assuming, you know, in local parentis, you know, you, you're, you're enrolled now, every, we are now the, your family and negating that. And that, that, those are the kinds of things that we see matter and make a difference. You know, you, to take a step back, uh, you mentioned the feeling of belonging, um, you know, the, the student supports that, uh, yeah, I think you used the word squishy, I like that. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the data backs that up. It's, it's, a, it's a big driver in, in people's success in higher ed. And it also, uh, these days, anxiety and uncertainty are just amplified to, to a profound degree. You know, as, as you look forward in higher ed's big moment here, you know, how concerned are you about traditional institutions uh, being able to help students through their anxiety and uncertainty when, as, we, as we've said, uh, you know, this population of students has been hit the hardest of all? Again, not to be trite, but what I see the difference is when you see uh, institutions and leadership that can acknowledge who they're serving and see the needs that they have as well as the strengths, it does make a difference. I think traditional four-year institutions have a lot of positive things that work in their favor and their ability to serve students, especially Latino students and other post-traditional students. They can create an environment that's supportive, that's engaging. It means that sometimes we have to rethink if they're not living on campus, what does that look like? And you know, the people who touch students the most are faculty. Right? They're in their classes and others. Uh, I think the leverage opportunity, if you've got faculty and staff to engage them, they're, they're, they're teaching because they want to contribute and engage with students. So we see institutions that leverage the, the positive influence and benefit of faculty with students. We see institutions that are sometimes reconsidering their limited resources to, to put it to where the student need is. We work with a lot of institutions that say mental uh, and emotional health of students has, to your point, Paul, escalated as an absolute priority. And uh, the institutions I see that are grappling with that well have partnered with community-based organizations and service providers outside of the campus lines to create a more holistic support of the students that they have. And at the end of the day, I think a social contract that an institution has with a student that the student has chosen to enroll there to help them get to and through, um, I see that as different as opposed to some other institutions that, and I think historically, the onus was completely on the student to figure it all out on their own. I just think that um, given the demographic changes, meaning less traditional college-age students available overall, and the need to get more adults in to address more of our, our, our male population, that we've got to take ownership and responsibility of our part as institutions in that, rather than just leaving all of the responsibility to students. Well, students that, have responsibility, by the way. I don't mean to minimize that, but you know what I mean. 
Well, I think particularly now there's discussion of uh, may, maybe too much being put uh, on students. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm thinking about the pandemic and, and what's going on this week. Uh, by the way, for folks who, who are listening, we're, we're talking in on August 25th and, and time moves fast here. So, um, well, I think that's a good note to end on. Uh, Deborah, I really appreciate you taking time to talk with me on this. Thank you, Paul. I really appreciate it. I feel like we, we covered a lot in a very short period of time. I hope people will take a look and, and understand that, you know, bringing a Latino lens to our understanding is a way to look at issues that seem intractable in different ways. It's not intended to, to just exclude others, but we've got to find ways to rethink what we do. And I think uh, looking at this fast young population is a way for us to do that. It's the bellwether of what's already here and needs to continue. So thanks for taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye-bye. This episode is sponsored by Cengage. From online to high flex learning, Cengage supports your changing pedagogy at scale. Learn more at Cengage.com slash institutional. That's C-E-N-G-A-G-E dot com slash institutional. That's it for this episode of The Key. I'll be back streaming to you from my basement. I hope you'll tune in. Catch you then.